This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Support for this podcast comes from the Neubauer Family Foundation, supporting WHYY's Fresh Air and its commitment to sharing ideas and encouraging meaningful conversation. This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. Our guest Greta Lee stars in the film Past Lives. Our film critic Justin Chang calls it an exquisitely thoughtful and moving film and the most affecting love story he's seen in ages. Although Greta Lee is a member of the Screen Actors Guild, which is currently on strike, Past Lives received an interim agreement from the Guild, which enables Greta Lee to talk about it. She talked about Past Lives with Fresh Air's Anne-Marie Baldonado. Here's Anne-Marie. It might be easy to see Past Lives as a film about a love triangle. In it, Nora, an Asian-American playwright living in New York City with her white American husband, is visited by her childhood sweetheart, who she hasn't physically seen since she emigrated from Seoul over 20 years ago. When that old love, Sung, comes to New York to visit Nora, she finds herself between two men who love different versions of her. So there is that triangle element, but the movie is so much more. It's about loss and regret and how the choices you make and the people around you shape your life. It's also about the lives that you could have lived and how that fork in the road between what is and what might have been has more weight when someone emigrates and moves away from their first home. It's also about reconciling your past self with your current self. The film, which has continued to be called one of the best of the year by critics, is anchored by our guest Greta Lee. She's best known for her comedic roles in TV shows like Girls, Inside Amy Schumer, and her starring role in Russian Doll with Natasha Lyonne. She currently stars as TV exec Stella Back in the third season of The Morning Show. Her films include the comedy Sisters with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and this year's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Let's start with a scene from Past Lives. Here, Nora has just returned from her weighty reunion with her old friend, Sung. It's clear that he has come to see her in New York because he still has unresolved feelings for her. She talks about it with her husband, Arthur, played by John Magaro. It's so crazy to see him be this grown-up man with a normal job and a normal life. He's so Korean. He still lives with his parents, which is really Korean. He has all these really Korean views about everything. And I feel so not Korean when I'm with him, but also in some way more Korean so weird. I mean, I have Korean friends, but he's not like Korean-American. He's Korean-Korean. Is he attractive? I think so. He's really masculine in this way that I think is so Korean. Are you attracted to him? I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. He was just this kid in my head for such a long time. And then he was just this image on my laptop. And now he is a physical person. It's really intense, but 
I don't think that that's attraction. I think I just missed him a lot. I think I miss Soul. Did he miss you? I think he missed the 12 year old crybaby he knew a long time ago. You were a crybaby? Yeah. Most of the time, he'd have to just stand there and watch me. Greta Lee, welcome to Fresh Air. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. What drew you to Nora and to this project? A lot of fans know you from your roles in comedies, and this isn't like those. What did you relate to the most? I remember reading the script, and I was completely astounded by the script. Uh, I wasn't at the time familiar with Celine Song, even though, you know, she was a playwright and we both have that theatrical background. I wasn't familiar with her work. I went in blind and I started reading her gorgeous words and it became clear that I was reading something that was subverting genre. It was a love story and it was, you know, a love triangle, but it was completely for me radicalizing the idea of what we can expect from a story like that. And as I continued to read, I was just imagining taking on something like this. And yeah, it was really terrifying to think about the possibility of even doing it. The language, I mean, the tremendous amount of Korean that would be required of me. I've never acted in another language, period. You had said that you figured you'd never do a role where you speak Korean. Yeah, that's not something that was on my vision board. I had never expected to do that, to be honest, I don't think that I I was entirely confident that I had the capacity to do that. Acting is is already hard, and to do it in a different language, I was really challenged by the idea of whether or not I'd be able to pull it off and, and do it in service of everything we wanted to accomplish with this movie. It required such a tremendous amount of restraint and stillness and silence and a supreme specificity um, that, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I'd, I'd be able to deliver on all of those things. I read that uh, Celine Song, the director and the writer of the movie, did some things to kind of help with the dynamics of you <laughs> and the other two two stars. For example, she told you and um, Tao Yu, who plays the childhood friend Hei Sung, that you couldn't touch each other, to kind of create this tension or this mm-hmm. distance between the two of you. Can you describe um, some of her techniques, like what she <laughs> wanted you to do? Um, because of what we were setting out to do with this movie and the specificity of these relationships, these two very unique relationships that I had to build with you know, the incredible Teo Yu and the extraordinary John Magaro that were very distinct from each other. And they had to be their own sort of private worlds, um, private from each other. So part of that involved separating the two of them. So I developed my own relationship, respectively, with each of these actors. And it wasn't until the actual scene in the movie when Arthur and Hesung meet that is the actual footage of them meeting for the first time. And that was also the case when we were trying to show 
the physicality of love. Uh, And I guess what I mean by that is the actual physiological response you have when you are reunited with someone that you love. What is chemistry? What is that tangibly? And that involved certain things like Teo and I not touching and not making any sort of physical contact until we actually touch, until that hug in Madison Square Garden. That was the first time we made any sort of physical contact. By making that forbidden, it heightened and pressurized touch. Now, you're more known for your comedic roles. How did you approach this film differently? This film is really quiet, and at times, so much is exchanged in these silent moments, these pauses and glances. I remember feeling stunned by how exposed I felt doing this in ways I think I'm only beginning to understand. There was no costume or, you know funky makeup or there was no behavioral things, nothing sort of, there was nothing to hide behind. I remember joking with Celine that it would be easier if I could actually just be nude (laughs) because I felt so uncomfortably exposed speaking on and showing things in this movie that I previously had never expected to be able to show. All the nuances of what it is to be a woman like Nora, or a woman like me, a child of immigrants, a person who is bicultural, who straddles multiple worlds while navigating being just a regular human living in America. Now, the film is certainly about love and about past loves and the love triangle and the struggle with that. But um, I also see it as the struggle Nora goes through you know, the fight between looking back and focusing on her life now. And that's a struggle of a lot of immigrants, you know, people who leave where they come from. It's not like she's mourning or yearning necessarily for just the old boyfriend. I felt like she was mourning or yearning for a life that that she could have had, you know, had she not moved away and had she not continued her quest to be like an artist. Um, It's that struggle, too, and not just about the past love. Yes. I think arguably, too, it's almost even bigger than uh, the experience of being an immigrant. It should ring true, hopefully, for anyone who's moved anywhere, Mm -hmm. anyone who's had to leave home and go to a different place for a certain dream that they have for themselves and how to reconcile this lost version of yourself Mm -hmm. that you can never get back ever. And that there may be certain people from home, so to speak, who will forever know you in a way that no one else will be able to know you. Um, I want to play another scene from the movie. It's between your character, Nora, and her husband, Arthur. He's been really open about the childhood sweetheart coming to visit, but he starts to think about it more. And here in this scene, uh, the characters are about to go to sleep in their New York apartment. Arthur, played by John Magaro, speaks first. (laughs) What? I was just thinking about what a good story this is. The story of Hezong and me? Yeah. I just can't compete. What do you mean? Childhood 
sweethearts who reconnect 20 years later only to realize they were meant for each other. We're not meant for each other. I know. In the story, I would be the evil white American husband standing in the way of destiny. <laughs> Shut up. I mean, what think about it. Our story is just so boring. We met at an artist's residency. We slept together because we both happened to be single. We realized we both live in New York, so we move in together to save money on rent. We get married. So you could get a green card. I mean, like, it sounds so romantic. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I the guy you'd leave in the story when your ex-lover comes to take you away. He's not my ex-lover. What if you met somebody else at that residency? What if there was another writer from New York who had also read all the same books you had and watched all the same movies and could give you useful notes on your plays and listen to you complain about your rehearsals. That's not how life works. Uh, yeah. But wouldn't you be laying here with him? This is my life, and I'm living it with you. Are you happy with it? Is this what you imagined for yourself when you left Seoul? When I was a 12-year-old? Yeah, this is what you pictured for yourself. Laying in bed in some tiny apartment in the East Village with some Jewish guy who writes books. Is that what your parents wanted for you? You're asking me if you, Arthur Zedaransky, are the answer to my family's immigrant dream? Yeah. This is where I ended up. This is where I'm supposed to be. What? It's just that you make my life so much bigger and I'm wondering if I do the same thing for you that's a scene from the film past lives there's something so beautiful and sad about that last thought that Arthur has that he feels like Nora makes his life bigger but he's afraid that he doesn't do the same thing for her I was wondering if you could talk about that sure I mean listening to that scene this was an indelible moment for us, actually, in, in terms of the process of filming, because this is one of the first days of shooting when um, we were speaking in English. Mm. I think up until this point, we because we were shooting out of order, we were working, I think, almost exclusively in Korean. Mm. And the extraordinary thing about having Celine direct her own movie is she was able to direct uh, Teo and I exclusively in Korean. And then when John and I would work, we would work exclusively in English. So up until this moment, um, the process of filming and working felt very private. Um, There was no audience. We were doing it only for each other um, because the crew could literally not understand what we were saying. And this day, um, filming this scene, um, it was a series of scenes in the in the apartment between Nora and Arthur. I, I remember um, our department heads and our crew. Uh, I mean, I, a lot of them. I don't want to blow their covers, but a lot of them were crying. Um, I remember our sound department. I was just I was so stunned by that reaction that. 
there's so many tears um, from other people who I think were recognizing the spirit of what we were trying to capture um, between these two people who love each other. You said that this was one of your first scenes speaking in English. Did it feel kind of like an exhale or something? Um, You know, you said that you never thought you'd speak Korean for a role. Was coming back speaking in English? (laughs) Like, like, was it easier? Yeah, or (laughs) did it feel like, did it feel different? Um, Yes. Well, it did. And that's baked into the whole movie, actually, that it had to feel different. Because for Nora, it feels so different. Speaking Korean for Nora with Hyesung is a totally different world that then she's teleported out of into a different world where she's in English, in her American body, speaking to her husband. And I, yeah, I mean, I I experienced that kind of science fiction level kind of teleporting and and, um, traveling through time and space. Um, And... I think that the, uh, in terms of the Korean, um, I should mention that part of the challenge and part of the the detail in terms of the work that went into it was making sure we could capture the full spectrum of what a Korean-American sounds like in this context. Well, yeah, Celine Song, the director, said that she felt like you had the the right amount of Korean, like the perfect (laughs) amount of Korean for the character Nora, who left Seoul at 12. Right. And I am very different from Nora. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had a very different immigrant experience than Nora. Uh, I was born in Los Angeles. Um, I am an American. My parents immigrated from Seoul, Korea. And Korean was my first language, but I have a very different relationship to my native language, so to speak. Um, I, I think I grew up after years, years and years of being criticized for, you know, my Korean being bad and like disappointing my ancestors and, you know, not being a good enough Korean. That is baked into to my experience um, as an American. But with this movie and with Nora... And with Celine and her vision for the movie, it became this incredible opportunity to move towards what was previously considered a flaw. So I should mention that in lieu of a more conventional dialect coach, um, because I guess one could argue upon hearing that you get this kind of a role and you have to speak this much Korean quickly, um, that you would find someone who could turn you into a native speaker, a native Seoul from Seoul, Korea speaker. But that wouldn't be appropriate for this. We had to protect um, aggressively all the in-betweens and making sure that, for example, at the beginning of a conversation that, let's say, Nora and Hyesung are having, That after years of being apart, and for Nora, not living a life fully immersed in her Korean, that she would start out sounding a certain way. That maybe she'd start out sounding more like a westernized theater girl. (laughs) But maybe after hours of talking and, you know, pouring your heart out, and, you know, we all know what that's like, you know, these phone calls that go on for hours and hours and hours, maybe in her youth, 
what she would then sound like at the end of that conversation. And we, it was just so, it felt so, that felt like a detail that couldn't be overlooked. And I couldn't access that if I wiped my language clean of all of its flaws. We're listening to the interview Fresh Airs Anne-Marie Baldonado recorded with Greta Lee, star of the film Past Lives. We'll hear more of their conversation after a break, and TV critic David Bianculli will review the new reboot of the series Frasier. I'm Terry Gross, and this is Fresh Air. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. Sometimes it takes a different approach to unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format is designed to help you learn relevant skills at your own pace, so you can earn your degree on your terms and apply what you learn right away. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross, back with more of the interview Fresh Air's Anne-Marie Baldonado recorded with Greta Lee. She played Maxine on the show Russian Doll, Sujin on Girls, and appeared in Inside Amy Schumer, High Maintenance, and Broad City. She's currently in the series The Morning Show, and she stars in the film Past Lives. In the new film, she plays Nora, a Korean-American playwright living in New York City, who's caught between her husband and her childhood sweetheart, who's visiting from Seoul. The movie is a love story, but it's also about life choices, regret, and reconciling who you are with who you used to be. Greta Lee is a member of the Screen Actors Guild, which is still on strike. But the film recently received an interim agreement from SAG-AFTRA, which means Greta Lee is able to talk with us about the film. When we left off, she was talking about speaking in Korean for much of the film. It was her first language growing up, but not a language she's felt confident using, and she never thought she'd need to speak Korean in a role. What was the response of people in your family seeing you (laughs) speak that much Korean on film? Honestly, my parents were shocked. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and it was funny to me because I remember the first time that I, uh, I mean, I'd obviously told them what I was about to setting out to do. And and yet the first time they saw the trailer, (laughs) my mom called me and said, which means, oh, my God, this is in Korean. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I I was in total disbelief that she, it just didn't, they hadn't fully processed what that means. But now I understand, how could they? 
They've never seen an American movie mm. in Korean. You know, we were trying to redefine the entire, the, the idea of what, can, what constitutes an American film. An American film by A24, shot in New York City, on film, in a lot of Korean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that, you know, the interesting thing about language, I'll share that my first language was Tagalog, the language that they speak in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And like to this day, I understand everything, but I have a hard time speaking it because I don't speak it that often. And now these days, I don't have anyone near me who speaks Tagalog, so I don't hear it that often. But if I ever hear it, like if a group of people's walking by, or I recently went to an Asian food store and some women there were speaking it, I, I could I can almost cry because it yes. This place deep in mm-hmm. my brain, like in the past, that I can hardly uh, like access anymore. Yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely, <laughs> it's that longing. It's like yeah. a diasporic longing or something that is like is so hard to explain, but it feels physical. Yeah. I remember for months after wrapping the film, I was in a state of <laughs> grief, honestly, because I knew that the reality of my life. It does not warrant me speaking that much Korean. It just doesn't, you know. I'm a mother of two young children. They know some Korean, but I don't exist in a space and time that allows for me to just speak Korean. No one would understand me. (laughs) It wouldn't be functionally appropriate. But I think that's what's so, I think, incredible about the movie, that that's also part of this. How do I reconcile? How does Nora reconcile with the, with how tragic that is? That this is a huge part of her actual DNA as a human being. And yet there are certain considerations and certain um, compromises, exchanges that are made just to live. And that's just the reality of, of life mm-hmm. for, for everyone. I read that your mother was a musician and she was a pianist before she moved away from Seoul, but she wasn't able to perform in the U.S. Is Do, do I have that story right? And yes. did you know that growing up? Yes. My mother, um, she attended Ihua University. It's a women's, it's a prestigious women's university in Seoul, Korea. Um, and she was a piano major. She was a concert pianist. Um an incredible classically trained musician. And she immigrated to America with my father right before having us um, and put aside her musical aspirations. She is thoroughly an artist. I wouldn't say she's as cool as Nora's. She doesn't, <laughs> she certainly doesn't smoke cigarettes, but she is, um, she has always been an artist. Just in every way. Uh, She's a painter. She does minhwa. Um, This is a a, a form of traditional Korean painting. She does uh, flower arranging. She she is an artist, capital A. Um, But yes, she um, became a homemaker. Um, And (laughs) this is reminding me of something else she said after she saw the movie. Mm -hmm. And... Ugh, I guess I'm getting kind of emotional remembering this, but she was in tears. Mm. And I was shocked because I don't think my parents have ever, it, 
specifically acknowledged my work for better or for worse. Not even not in a cruel way. There, mm-hmm. It was just it's a, it was more along the lines of like, oh, you did that. Good job. What do you want for dinner? <laughs> but this the first time they saw the movie, my mom was. <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm crying now. But she was sobbing and and I was. <laughs> deeply uncomfortable, if I'm honest, <laughs> and not prepared to receive that kind of, of a reaction from her. And uh, several days later, she called me and she was driving and she said, I'm still crying <laughs> about your movie. And I said, I'm so sorry, mom. I, you know, I, what's going on for you? And she said, I am Nora. <laughs> she said, I, this movie is about me. And I I was totally shocked by that sentiment and it never even occurred to me that she could feel that way. And, and was the artistic part of it like what did she tell you more about? It would it would also be consistent that she didn't, but yeah, but and she's um, like and she... that's enough now. <laughs> <laughs> but did she tell you more about what it was about it? She did. She, you know, maintained the mystery about her, but (laughs) (laughs) she mentioned it was along the lines of all that is lost Hmm. when you move, Um, but also all that is gained. It's like that line in the movie when um, the two mothers are talking. Hmm. In order to gain something, you have to lose something, I think, is a line. And my mother was expressing the embarrassment of riches she's received in her life immigrating here, but the heartache of everything that was lost in order to do that. Um, And yes, also the artistic uh, sacrifice that she made um, in order to become a mother to me and my brother and sister. Our guest is actor Greta Lee. She stars in the critically acclaimed film Past Lives, which is now available for streaming. Her previous roles include those in Russian Doll, Girls, Inside Amy Schumer, and High Maintenance. She currently stars in the Apple TV Plus series The Morning Show. More after a break. This is Fresh Air. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mass Mutual. According to Calendar.com, the average person schedules just 4.5 hours per year on finances. Mass Mutual gets it. Life is busy. If you can't find time to plan your financial future, find someone who can, like a Mass Mutual financial professional. For the last 170 years, they've helped people plan for retirement, college tuition, and any other short or long-term financial goals. Learn more at MassMutual.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. How do you sleep at night? No matter what might be keeping you up, Mattress Firm can help anyone sleep. Mattress Firm will find you the right mattress from a wide selection of top brands at every budget. Plus, if you see a lower price somewhere else, they'll match it up to 120 nights with their low price guarantee. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale and sleep at night. Restrictions apply. See mattressfirm.com or store for details. I read that your grandfather was also an artist. He was a painter. Uh, can you describe what his art was like? And do, did you know him? Did you grow up with him? Yes. My grandfather was was a real character. Instead of serving in the army during the Korean War, he had polio. So he, he couldn't. Um, and 
he instead worked as a painter at the uh, U.S. Army base in uh, Busan. And it was his job to paint these movie posters, these huge Hollywood movie posters for the U.S. Army. They would have these movies brought in for the soldiers. And he, through painting them, fell in love with American cinema. And growing up in Los Angeles, he is the reason why I know who Greta Garbo is, Catherine Hepburn. He was a real movie buff. And is it true that he wanted you to be named Greta? That that's so that's something that I that you'd have to take up with my mom. Yes. <laughs> There's a little bit of a conflicting account of who exactly is responsible. Um, for most of my life, I had heard that it was my grandfather who named me after Greta Garbo. But in the recent years, my mother is insisting that it was her, that she was passed down an American English name book, and she came across the name Greta, and she fell in love with that name. Uh, so, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay out of this one and just say... <laughs> Both could we be don't true. Know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you were born in Los Angeles. You moved around a bit but settled in L.A. What was your neighborhood like when you were growing up? Well, we moved around a lot, and... We moved so much because my dad was trying to find a job. He didn't speak English, and he was looking to do his residency at a hospital that would employ a non-English-speaking person. And turns out that was a very tall order. Not a lot of people wanted to take that on. So we moved to uh, La Cunada Flintridge uh, when I was in, um, I think, first or second grade. And we had a very sort of suburban kind of upbringing. There was a lot of church involved, a lot of time in the car. We went to, I guess, an, you would call a, an elite L.A. private school that was very far away. And I think maybe similar to Nora and the experience that, you know, of past lives and what it's like to jump through these, like, different worlds to teleport. It was sort of a version of that, to go from the suburbs of La Cunada to Harvard-Westlake to Koreatown and managing these totally disparate, very different separate worlds. And it wasn't until I found the theater nerds (laughs) that I found my people. I mean, I it was so clear It was like my coming out of like, this is who I am. This makes sense. Well, when you were younger and deciding you wanted to be a performer, what kind of career did you want to have? Well, when I was younger, I was always really attracted to very male and very kind of athletic types of performances and um, actors. Like what? Like Val Kilmer. (laughs) One of my first cinematic experiences, and I am aware this isn't like the most highbrow um, reference that I could make, but this is honestly what I my one of my earliest memories of feeling like I found something that I needed to be a part of was seeing Val Kilmer in the movie The Saint. <laughs> oh, yes, but what specifically I was drawn to as a little girl. 
And mind you, I am a little Korean-American girl in a household that was very traditional in terms of the expectations put on a female to not be too loud, to be ladylike, to do well at school, but you probably become a an excellent wife and mother one day, to be beautiful in a feminine way. But for me, I really recognized a part of myself, my true self as a child, in performances like Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, Nicolas Cage. I mean, really big, uh, muscular performances. Um, I wanted to do that. I wanted to take that on, and I believed that I could. I think that's why, within the comedic world, I was attracted to these these characters. I felt like that was sort of like my benign resistance to this idea of what certain women were allowed to do. If this was makes like, any sense. No, so it was like some you saw something in those parts or those actors that you couldn't do yourself in your real life. Yeah, that I wasn't, I didn't have easy access to. Another example of this would be um, getting to work with the incredible Mark Rylance when we did a play together and observing the space he took up unapologetically, creatively, professionally, and the kinds of um, that, that it felt like freedom. And it's something that I wanted actively as a young person starting out in the business. Now, you were on Broadway. You were Mm -hmm. in the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. You toured with it. Then you were on Broadway. You thought you had made it as an actor. And then that didn't lead (laughs) to steady work after that. That must have been so hard. Oh, yeah. I was so naive. I remember my – because this Spelling Bee, that Broadway gig, which we ended up doing for about a year, a year and a half. It's It's a long time. I remember thinking out of my own naivete that that was uh, great. Now, I, now I, I'm done. I've made it. <laughs> Here I come, Hollywood. And the reality was very different. I think that at that time then, I don't know. I think the opportunities were even more scarce than they are now. I think I remember distinctly only seeing a handful of Asian-American actresses who were making a living doing this. And that was a a big reality check for me. But I was, I don't know, somehow still very, I was relentless. I, I just could not accept, even if the world around me was telling me explicitly, there's no room for you here, or this is impossible, or you're not right, or you're just not, you don't fit the idea of the person we would want to see at the center of the story. I think I I still, it's that child self, that part of me that had this incredible moxie or something, this like illogical outsize, I can't even call it confidence, but it's something else that just would not accept No. Well, Greta Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Greta Lee stars in the film Past Lives. She spoke with Fresh Air's Anne-Maria Baldonado. 
After we take a short break, our TV critic David Bianculi will review the new sequel to the comedy series Frasier. Like the original, it stars Kelsey Grammer. This is Fresh Air. This message comes from NPR sponsor Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and gives personalized recommendations based on the homes that you like so you can find the home that's just right for you. You can favorite homes, share listings with others, and even schedule tours with a local Redfin agent all in the app. When you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, and they know how to help you win the right home at the right price. So download the Redfin app to get started today. The character of Fraser Crane, the fussy psychiatrist played by Kelsey Grammer, first appeared on TV in 1984, two years into the run of NBC's Cheers. He remained a regular supporting character on Cheers until that series ended in 1993, Then he was promoted to series lead and given his own show that same year. That sitcom titled... This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash AI for people. Frasier thrived until 2004, and now, nearly 20 years later, it's back again, a new continuation of Frasier, still starring Kelsey Grammer, this time streaming on Paramount Plus and repeated on CBS. Our TV critic David Bianculi has this review. How does it feel being back in Boston? Mixed emotions, honestly. I'm not sure I was ever my best self here. I may have spent a little too much time at a certain bar. Deciding to mount a new incarnation of Fraser is a very tall order, bringing with it a lineage as imposing as it is impressive. NBC's Cheers won the Emmy as Outstanding Comedy Series four times during its lengthy run. Then the official spin-off series, Fraser beat that record somehow, winning the same award five times along with four individual wins for Kelsey Grammer as the now-leading character, Fraser Crane. Now, Kelsey Grammer and company are going back to the well. And, well, the show takes a while to find its own voice. But slowly, surely, it does. The new 2023 version of Fraser has launched on Paramount+, Plus, with shows dropping weekly after a two-episode premiere. The new Frasier also shows up this week as a repeat on CBS. Partly because most people still don't subscribe to the Paramount Plus streaming service, and partly because CBS is so starving for product after the writer's strike. Joe Cristalli and Chris Harris wrote the premiere episode with an old hand at the helm. James Burroughs, the most celebrated TV sitcom director in history. He also directed many, many episodes of both Cheers and Frasier, so he knows very well the timing and delivery of the major character. The potential problem with a new Frasier isn't the presence of Kelsey Grammer. He's still got his Jack Benny silences and Oliver Hardy mannerisms down pat. It's the absence of the other wonderful faces from the old series. John Mahoney, who played Frasier's dad, died five years ago. David Hyde Pierce and Jane Leaves, as the eventually married Niles and Daphne, opted not to repeat their roles as series regulars. 
And while Bibi Newworth, as Fraser's ex-wife Lilith, will return in a future episode, neither she nor any other players from the classic Fraser series show up in the five episodes made available for critics. Clearly, this new sitcom wants to stand on its own. And after some wobbly first steps, it does. Like the brilliant pilot to ABC's Modern Family, the new Frasier keeps some of its character relationships secret until the end of the first episode. But without spoiling any of those surprises, I can say this much. After years as a psychiatrist with a popular TV show, Frasier reacts to the death of his father by returning to Boston to seek out Freddy, his now-grown son from his marriage to the caustic Lilith. Freddie is a Harvard dropout and full-time firefighter. Jack Cutmore Scott plays Freddie, who one day finds his long-estranged father waiting unannounced at his apartment door. Freddie lets Frazier in, but only physically, not emotionally. Your place is so... Damn, when I started that sentence, I thought I'd think of something. <laughs> yeah, sorry, D. Picasso's getting reframed and the whole second floor's in the shop. You have your mother's sense of humor, Frederick. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's charming. It reminds me of the sort of place one would wrestle a cartoon rat for a crust of bread. There it is. Your subtle reminder I'd make more money if I wasn't just a firefighter. No, no, I admire what you do. It's a noble profession. It's just that you did so well in your psych classes at Harvard. Right, but I wanted to do something important. What I do is important. It's at least as important as what you do. Okay, sure. Let's find someone who has low self-esteem and is also on fire and see which one of us they run to first. <laughs> There's that mother of yours again. The distance and difference between father and son, so crucial to the original Frasier series, is echoed intentionally here with Frazier now in the father role, but experiencing the same sort of clashes. And while Niles and Daphne are absent, they're present in spirit, because their college-age son, David, is always around. And just like the original Frazier series was what I call a classic splitcom, half of it set at home, the other half at work, a formula perfected long ago by the Dick Van Dyke show, this time out, the workplace is Harvard University, where, in short order, and very improbably, Frazier is offered a job by the chair of the psych department. This not only makes more room for Frazier's nephew David, who's just starting there as a student, but for a newly introduced character named Alan, a weary, sarcastic, tenured professor and a friend of Frazier's since their student days at Oxford. He's played by Nicholas Lindhurst, and after guest lecturing in Alan's class, Frazier is introduced to the department chair, Olivia. She's portrayed by Tokes Alaguandier. Oh, no. Well, what? Who's that? That's our department head, Olivia Finch. Brilliant scholar, but an absolute terror. Cold, disengaged, narcissistic. She's called me all those things. <laughs> she sounds dreadful. Dr. Crane, you are a true legend. And yet there's something about her I just like. <laughs> This new Frasier gets better and funnier in later episodes once it firmly establishes its characters, settings, and relationships. Eve, a character with no clear counterpart in the old series, she's a new mother played by Jess Salguero, is the most sparkling standout among the new players. But they all emerge as good foils for Kelsey Grammer. And the new series hasn't forgotten to sprinkle in callbacks to the old one. The opening animation is slightly different each week. The title cards between acts are still there. 
and the new neighborhood bar where the faculty members and firefighters drink is called Mahoney's, a nice nod to the actor who once played Frazier's dad. I was skeptical about the return of Frazier and not very impressed by the premiere. But after a few more episodes, I was won over. If you like the old Frasier, or if you like Cheers, give this new Frasier series a chance. In fact, give it two. David Bianculi is professor of television studies at Rowan University. He reviewed the revival of the hit sitcom Frasier, still starring Kelsey Grammer. New episodes stream on Paramount+. Thea Chaloner directed today's show... Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our co-host is Tanya Mosley. I'm Terry Gross. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR.